1: And away we go, episode 278 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, March 24th, 2022, and we finally have a second significant free agent acquisition for our commanders this offseason. For those of you who have been waiting and yearning and pining for the commanders to be doing more in free agency. Well, they apparently heard you. They have heated your desires. F.A. Obata. Who? What? Yes, F.A. Obata. He is the newest member of the commanders. If that doesn't get the juices flowing, I don't know what will. Actually, the F.A. Obata story is a pretty remarkable story. It is a story that does include him having started his NFL career (laughs) with, guess who? You got it! The Carolina Panthers. But hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. This is a show that is loaded with Commander's content, as there was a lot going on with them on Wednesday. Next segment, I will discuss some business developments with the commanders. New intel on their deal with Anheuser-Busch. That is no more. We have financial info on that. Uh, The info makes Anheuser-Busch dropping the commanders look like an even bigger deal. We also have intel on where overall commanders' business operations are at right now. Uh, Where overall commanders' business operations are at right now. Does that seem to be in a good place. Uh, Also, next segment, I will discuss, yes, the Team 980, no longer being the flagship radio station for the team, now known as the Commanders. Uh, This became quite the thing on Wednesday. A whole lot of back and forth between the team and the station slash the station's parent company. I'm sure that everyone involved was telling the truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, You could say that I have some perspective on this, having worked at 980 in some capacity for close to 23 years. I will share that perspective with you next segment. Always know I never on this podcast will shy away from the controversial or dicey topics. My man Marshall on Wednesday afternoon tweeted me, are you going to cover the breakup of the flagship and the commanders? Hails to the yeah, Marshall. Of course I'm going to cover that breakup. Uh, I will talk actual commanders football on the show. We on Wednesday had multiple football developments with the commanders, including them announcing the signing of, yes, unrestricted free agent defensive lineman, and yes, former Panther F.A. Obata. Uh, the commanders on Wednesday also announced the re-signing of unrestricted free agent corner Danny Johnson, who ended up having far more of a significant role on Washington's defense last season than I think anyone could have ever reasonably expected. So I have some analysis for you on F.A. Obata and Danny Johnson. I'm also going to get into the Terry McLaurin contract situation. Given the major NFL news on Wednesday, the Kansas City Chiefs agreeing to trade receiver Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins, who are giving Hill a mega money Contract extension. Signing our guy Terry to a contract extension this offseason seemingly uh, just got a whole lot more challenging. Uh, I have a special guest for you on the show, Commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Uh, He's going to tell us about his conversation with Ron Rivera about why Ron made the trade for Carson Wentz. We're going to talk a lot about the Wentz trade, what the Commanders truly are thinking with their number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, and much more. And I have a national segment for you late in the show. We, on Wednesday, got some very telling comments from Nats manager Davey Martinez on expectations for Steven Strasburg in the 2022 regular season. And we have growing signs that, believe it or not, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' opening day starter. Yes, Patrick Corbin, who for the 2021 regular season had a 582 ERA, which was the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. That guy, Patrick Corbin, may well be your Nats 2022 opening day starter. By the way, if you are seeking more Nats content, the latest installment of the Nats Chat podcast, which I do with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of massandsports.com, uh, is out. Uh, that came out on Tuesday afternoon. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. you can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com email from Gerald in Spain on our conversation on Wednesday's show episode 277 on the commander's potentially taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft off Malik Willis's and Kenny Pickett's pro days This week writes Gerald, listening to the pod and your discussion about Malik Willis's and Kenny Pickett's pro days, I decided to go back and Google Dwayne Haskins pro day and superlatives like Haskins shines at Ohio State pro day, big league arm and great deep ball skills all came up. To quote a Seinfeld episode, yada, yada, yada. Not saying Malik and Kenny aren't great young men with talent. It's just that we hear this every year. But as Alexander Pope once wrote, hope springs eternal. Uh, yes, Gerald, all very true. And I did make it a point on Wednesday show to multiple times say that quarterbacks are supposed to look good at their pro days. And who the heck knows what to make of a quarterback looking good that is pro day. Like, maybe the guy is going to end up being a very good NFL quarterback, but then again, uh, maybe not. Uh, as we have discussed on the podcast, the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks in NFL drafts is that good. Uh, if you begin with the 2010 NFL draft, the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks is less than 40%. That is what my deep dive research has revealed. Less than 40%. Uh, email from Devin on the Commanders with Carson Wentz as their QB1. Writes Devin, my glass half full prediction for the Washington Redskins Commanders is they will go 10-7 and 7 with Carson the Commander as their quarterback. However, Carson will get injured toward the end of the season, and Taylor Heineke, who is my homeboy, will lead the Washington Commander Skins to the playoffs and will win one Playoff game. Kenny Two Gloves Pickett will be cheering from the sidelines because the Commander Skins are going to draft him with the 11th pick in this year's NFL draft. The Commander Skins will part ways with Carson, and Kenny Pickett will be the starting quarterback for the 2023 season. P.S. I thought it was funny. When Dan Snyder decided he was going to investigate the accusations of the hand on the thigh and the push into the limo, I imagined him saying with an Austin Powers voice, allow myself to investigate <laughs> myself. Uh, thank you, Devin. Uh, yes, allow myself to introduce myself. Allow myself to introduce myself. Yes, allow myself to introduce myself. And what makes that line is Austin Powers' facial expression. What happened to Mike Myers, by the way? I feel like he has disappeared. The Austin Powers movies were really good. The original Austin Powers was outstanding. Uh, Devin, I tell you what, I would in a heartbeat sign up for the scenario that you outlined in your email. Not that I'm rooting for Carson Wentz to get injured. Not that I'm rooting for Commander Carson to get injured. I'm rooting for Commander Carson to conquer. But Taylor Heideke, a.k.a. Tay-Tay, leading the Commander Skins to the playoffs and winning a playoff game, and Kenny Pickett being the team's starting quarterback for the 2023 season, uh, I would sign up for that, okay? That sounds like a scenario that we could all get into. Although, I tell you what, if tay was to lead the Commander Skins to a playoff win this coming season, then I would think that that would mean that there's an at least decent chance that tay would be the team's starting quarterback for the 2023 season. Email from John Safran in Indianapolis. Ah, Indy, perhaps John. We'll have some Carson Wentz inside for us at some point. But the subject of John's email is New Skins announcers, writes John. Goldie, Kevin Sheehan, Doc Walker, and Chris Cooley. The second coming of <laughs> Sonny, Sam, and Frank. Uh Thank you, John, but not quite. You know, a radio crew of myself, Kevin, Doc, and Cooley would feature four massive egos, okay? Four total divas. The infighting and the backstabbing would be out of control, okay? Trust me on that. Well, if you own, run, or work out of business, you, of course, always want to be in control. You also, of course, want your business to grow. And there's no better way to grow your business than by working with ImageWorks. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique, web design, branding, and marketing company. ImageWorks will take your business to the next level and make you more money. ImageWorks is located in the DMV, but ImageWorks serves the entire country by utilizing a virtual approach with the latest video meeting software to engage, communicate, and share award-winning designs. So wherever you're at, doesn't matter. ImageWorks can help you. And ImageWorks can help your business in so many ways website design, website redesign, logos in corporate identity, video creation, content writing and strategy, brand language and voice and so much more. And Imageworks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. You see, Imageworks is more than a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop, for business growth. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. That's image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Uh, Also, you can call or text the owner of Imageworks, Scott, at 703 928-7309. That's 703 928 7309. When you contact him, make sure that you mention the Al Goldie podcast so that you get the free offer. But Scott's a big fan of all Washington, D.C. area teams. He is a regular listener of this podcast and he loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. Scott has been doing what he is doing since 1996. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal your business success. Up next, a major reveal regarding the Commander's now defunct deal with Anheuser-Busch and my thoughts on the Team 980 no longer being the flagship radio station for the team now known as the Commander's. I'll get to all of that after this. So we on Wednesday had two developments regarding the business of the commanders. Uh, The first development was some more detail that came out regarding the commanders having lost Anheuser-Busch as a sponsor. Uh, I talked about that on Monday's show, episode 275. We this past Friday learned that Anheuser-Busch has decided to no longer sponsor the commanders. Uh, Anheuser-Busch had been One of the Commander's biggest corporate sponsors, Anheuser-Busch is the official beer sponsor of the National Football League. Anheuser-Busch sponsors 26 NFL teams. Yes, 26. There are 32 teams in the NFL. Anheuser-Busch sponsors 26 of those teams, but not one of those teams is the Commander's. Uh, Budweiser and Bud Light, as you likely know, are produced by Anheuser-Busch. Budweiser in 1993... In 1994 had an advertising campaign centered around the slogan, proud to be your bud. Uh, unfortunately for Dan Snyder, Anheuser-Busch is no longer proud to be the commander's bud. Proud
0: to be your bud. Budweiser! Proud to be your bud.
1: Anheuser-Busch is no longer proud to be the commander's bud. Now, we can't say with certainty why Anheuser-Busch dumped the commanders, but logic would suggest that a reason, maybe even the reason, is the workplace misconduct scandal. And if, in fact, Anheuser-Busch dumped the commanders over the workplace misconduct scandal, then Anheuser-Busch has become the second major sponsor to lead the team over the scandal. Uh, We in February learned that Medliminal. A medical billing compliance company out of Manassas, Virginia, was no longer a sponsor of the Commanders. Well, we on Wednesday morning got a piece from Commander's Insider JP Finley of NBC Sports Washington. JP in the piece provided financial intel of the Commander's now defunct deal with Anheuser Busch. JP reported that the Commander's deal with Anheuser-Busch, quote, was worth at least four. Million dollars annually per NFL and team sources and ranked among the commander's four largest sponsorships. The only deals worth equal or more are with Pepsi, FedEx, and Bank of America. End quote. So how about that? The commander's deal with Anheuser Busch was worth at least four million dollars annually. That's a lot of money in corporate sponsorship, okay? That is a big matzah ball when it comes to corporate sponsorship. At least $4 million annually. That buys a lot of Bud Lights. Yes, thank you. Proud to be your Bud. Uh, (laughs) JP also reported that the commander's deal with Medliminal had been a six-figure deal. So all of this goes back to what we had discussed. When sponsors start dropping, uh, that's when things truly get real, okay? Money is what so many things in life come down to. When you start losing money, that's when things truly get real. And if the commanders have become, you know, a sponsor repellent because of the workplace misconduct scandal, and or Dan Snyder, and or lack of attendance at home games, and or the name change, and or whatever else, well, uh, that's a big problem. And that's the kind of thing that could push the NFL over the edge regarding getting rid of Dan as owner of the Commanders. Now, we're not there yet, okay, and we may never get there, but this is something to be thinking about. Money matters, okay? Money matters more than anything, truthfully, when you're talking about big-time professional sports. Again, Anheuser-Busch is the official beer sponsor of the NFL. Anheuser-Busch was paying the commanders at least $4 million annually. For those of you who have gotten to FedEx Field, you may be familiar with the Bud Light Party Pavilion. FedEx Field had a section called the Bud Light Party Pavilion. Uh, This is embarrassing for the commanders that they have lost Anheuser-Busch as a sponsor. There also was this in JP's piece. Uh, Commander's business operations right now appear to be in chaos. Wrote JP, quote, Team and league sources explained that at least 20 non-football employees have left since the beginning of the year. Per one former team employee, that place is a mess. The commanders paint a different picture of the current atmosphere. A team spokesperson said that even with the loss of revenue from the Anheuser-Busch deal, sponsorship revenues are on pace to outperform 2021. Of the employee turnover, the spokesperson allowed that it's a time of intense change for the commanders, but that the end of the football season in January provided a natural turning point for staff transition end quote. Oh, yes, staff transition. Uh, look, I know that people come and go from places, okay? I know that a staff transition is in fact a thing, but at least 20 non-football employees having left the commander since the beginning of the year, I mean, that does sound significant, doesn't it? And we have heard of this kind of thing happening with business operations for the team before, you know, a mass exodus. And remember who is among those who have left the commander's since the start of the calendar year. This guy, Damon Jones, I talked about him on the podcast a few months ago. Uh, The Los Angeles Dodgers on January 18th announced the hiring of Damon Jones as an assistant general manager. Uh, Jones had been the chief legal officer for Washington, which hired him for that role in December 2020. Now, Damon Jones had a background of working in Major League Baseball. He, in fact, worked for the Nationals for quite some time, July 2007, to February 2020. He was the Nats Senior Vice President and General Counsel of Baseball and Business Operations. Now, Stan Kasten worked for the Nats from May 2006 to October 2010 and became the Dodgers President and CEO on April 30th, 2012. So that certainly seems to have been Damon Jones' connection to the Dodgers, Stan Kasten, and maybe Damon Jones just wanted back in MLB. But It's not often that a guy as high up as Damon Jones was in a multi-billion dollar operation, as the commanders are, takes his job and then leaves that job a mere 13 months later. Again, he was hired by Washington in December 2020. He left Washington this past January. Uh, There's a lot with commanders' business operations that we do not know. I will totally concede that. I do, though, know this. Uh, People who work in business operations for the team have a tendency to not last for long, okay? See Brian LaFamina and his band of merry men, for those of you who remember the Brian LaFamina saga. And so I do think that all of this raises the question of, well, what about Jason Wright? Jason Wright is the commander's team president. He is in charge of business operations. How long until he leaves or until he's out? I mean, we have this apparent business operations turmoil for the commanders. Now, what we don't know is whether Jason Wright is more a victim of the turmoil or a reason for the turmoil. You know, it may well be that the turmoil is a function of Dan Snyder being the owner of the team and that Jason is doing the best that he can in this bad situation, but it may also be that Jason isn't doing a very good job. I mean, a lot of things have not gone well for the team from business and marketing standpoints since Jason was hired as team president in August 2020. It's not fair to just automatically blame Jason for those things, given what we know about his boss, okay? But it's also naive to think that there's no way that any of this could be Jason's fault. Uh, you should always take the under on how long any business operations employee will be with the team. That's just the way that things have worked with the team for years. And so whether Jason Wright would quit or be fired, uh, I do wonder just how long exactly Jason will be on the job as commander's team president, given the way that things seem to be going in business operations. Uh, Meantime, we had big broadcasting news with the commanders on Wednesday. The team 980 My former employer is out, is done, as the flagship radio station of the team. Uh, The Team 980 now is owned by a company called Odyssey, which also owns 106.7 The Fan. Uh, We, on Wednesday, ended up getting a pretty contentious back and forth between Odyssey and the commanders, and why exactly the change is happening, and my good buddy Kevin Sheehan was a part of all of this. I have to say, I was quite entertained by this back and forth, uh, knowing as many of the parties involved as I do. It did seem, as the day went on, that what Odyssey was putting out there was damage control, okay, and that Odyssey just got outbid for the radio rights for the commanders, who may well have been looking to partner with another company. Anyway, I can tell you a few things about all of this, okay? So the team, now known as the Commanders, hated the Team 980 for years, even when the team owned the Team 980. The radio station from 2008 to 2018 was owned by a company called Red Zebra, for which the primary investor was Dan Snyder. So the Redskins essentially owned 980 for a decade, 2008 2018. And the Redskins were terrible owners of 980. Now, I will say, the Redskins, for the most part, treated me well, okay? Like, I do have to say that. But I also can say with complete clarity that the Redskins did not treat the station well. And it's not even just that. The Skins did things that hurt the station, never mind not doing enough to help the station. Uh, the Skins did things that hurt the station. Bruce Allen despised the station. Bruce Allen did not like the critical discussions on the station. Uh, Bruce Allen was a big WMAL fan. That's why, by the way, Skins games started being carried on WMAL a few years ago. That's why the Skins literally during preseason games on TV would promote that WMAL and not 980 was the radio home of the team. I can't tell you how angry they used to make me and others. At the station, but there are a lot of stories that I could share with you about how the skins hurt 980. Here's a quick one. So, I earlier this segment mentioned JP Finley. 980 years ago was all set to hire JP as the station's Redskins beat reporter. That hiring got squashed by Tony Wiley, who was the head of the team's media relations. That kind of stuff happened quite a bit. That kind of stuff. Went on, you know, like outright sabotage. Okay, I'm not exaggerating when I say these things. The team owned the station, and yet the team treated the station like the enemy. So that the team's relationship with the station ended in the ugly way that the relationship ended on Wednesday isn't surprising. Uh, I can't tell you how many conversations I have had with Kevin over the years about how terribly the station was managed. So I'm sure part of what happened on Wednesday was like Kevin just letting the team have it, all right? All of that said, uh, I don't blame the Commanders for leaving 980. And really, what we should say is leaving Odyssey, because the Commanders could have gone with 106.7 as the new flagship radio station, although 106.7, of course, is also the flagship station for the Nationals. So I'm not sure when there are conflicts With Nationals games and Commanders games, which one would have gotten preference on 106.7? If the answer is Nats, then you would have had quite a few uh, early season Commanders games, right? Uh, Move to other stations because the Nats play so often, right, on Sunday afternoons. But, you know, if you're being honest about things, okay, I mean, 980 signal is terrible, all right? Everybody knows that. AM radio is not the way to be going in 2022. The 980 AM signal is terrible, uh, 980 has been run into the ground everybody knows that uh 980 is intentionally run by Odyssey as a distant number two in the Washington DC market in terms of sports talk radio everybody knows that so if you're the commanders why would you stay with 980 or why would you even want to be on 1067 given that 1067 has this relationship? With the Nationals. And, you know, 1067, like 980, has people trashing the commanders constantly. And look, I don't say that as a criticism of the radio stations because uh, the commanders so often deserve to be criticized. But if you're a football team looking to grow your brand in the midst of a rebrand, why do you want to be in business with outlets that aren't championing your cause the way that you want your cause? to be championed. So if you are the commanders and you have your new name and you're in the midst of this rebrand, find yourself a new flagship radio station with a great signal and big ratings and people who aren't bashing you constantly on talk shows. It's just sad to me that 980 now is even less of what it once was. I mean, honestly, that's what hit me more than anything on Wednesday. You know, for all the talk about who's right, who's wrong, and which station will be the new flagship radio station for the Commanders, I don't really care about all that stuff, to be honest with you. It's just a real shame to me what continues to happen to 980. 980 was the flagship of the Redskins slash Washington football team from 2008 through 2021. I hosted the official Redskins postgame show on 980 at the Washington Redskins radio network from 2009 through 2015. Now, there was a lot of bad football during that time, okay? But there also were two NFC East titles, right? Those for the 2012 and 2015 seasons. Uh, I was very proud of my post-game shows for the Redskins from 2009 through 2015, especially during those NFC East title winning seasons of 2012 and 2015. Uh, We had a good thing going on 980 with our Redskins game day broadcast. You had Kevin doing the pregame show. You had the actual game, which came to feature what really was groundbreaking in-game analysis from Chris Cooley. And then you had me doing the post-game show. Uh, I thought we had a really good thing going with 980 Redskins game day broadcast. And all of that now is gone and really has been done for a few years now. Now, Look, don't feel bad for me or Kevin or Cooley or anybody like that. Okay, we're all doing just fine. But it's just a shame to me what has happened to the station. Like, I'm no longer with the station. That doesn't mean that I root for the station's demise, okay? Like, no, I don't like seeing what has happened to the station. Uh, what has happened to the station should have never happened. And I've talked about this in the past, and I'm not going to rehash everything right now. But what has happened to the station is a function of multiple bad ownerships, bad management, And lack of forward and creative thinking. I mean, even right now, there are things that the station could be doing to make itself better, but that the station isn't doing. And I'm talking about things just in terms of like imaging and marketing and branding. But like I said, the goal right now with the station is just to have it as a distant number two so that somebody else doesn't come along and start a new sports radio station in the Washington, D.C. market. So that's my take on the big radio broadcasting news with the Commanders on Wednesday. Up next, multiple football developments regarding the Commanders on Wednesday, including a second major free agent acquisition for the Commanders this offseason in defensive of lineman F.A. Obada, and the prospect of signing Terry McLaurin to a contract extension seemingly becoming even more challenging thanks to the Miami Dolphins agreeing on a trade for Tyreek Hill and reportedly agreeing to give him a mega money contract extension. I'll get to all of this up next. The Al Galdi podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, We all deserve to be happy, but not everyone is happy. Is there something interfering with your happiness or something that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Uh, Are you or someone you care about dealing with depression or struggling with anxiety? Uh, This is where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Now, understand, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. Uh, BetterHelp is not self help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. Uh, BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. Uh, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Uh, Go to BetterHelp.com slash that's betterhelp.com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I. And you'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. Yes, 10% off an entire month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi and get 10% off your first month. Uh, look, the stigma of depression and anxiety is gone. Uh, I know plenty of people who've dealt with depression and or anxiety. Heck, sports are filled with people who've gone public with their mental health struggles. Uh, Mark Rippon, John Patterson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Michael Phelps, Serena Williams, Ronda Rousey. You deserve to be happy. Get help. Get better help. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi. All right, so we on Wednesday had a bunch of things happening with the Commanders from a football standpoint. Uh, We on Wednesday had Rod Rivera, among others for the Commanders, at Ohio State's Pro Day. Uh, Much more on that next segment when I chat with Commanders insider Ben Standing of The Athletic. Understand Ron did not go to Pitt's Pro Day, which featured quarterback Kenny Pickett. Ron did not go to Liberty's Pro Day, which featured quarterback Malik Willis, but Ron did attend Ohio State's Pro Day, which featured two receiver prospects for the 2022 NFL Draft in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, to whom, by the way, passes were thrown by a quarterback prospect for the 2023 NFL Draft, CJ Stroud. Uh, We on Wednesday had an introductory press conference for Commander's Guard Andrew Norwell, who the team has signed As an unrestricted free agent. Uh, We on Wednesday also had a press conference for receiver Cam Sims. Who the team has re-signed as an unrestricted free agent free agent. We on Wednesday had the Commanders announcing two signings. Uh, The Commanders on Wednesday announced the signing of unrestricted free agent defensive lineman F.A. Obata, uh, just the second significant free agent acquisition for the Commanders this offseason. And F.A. Obata, like the Commanders' first significant free agent acquisition of this offseason, Andrew Norwell once played for, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, the Carolina Panthers. Yes, I know, shocking, uh, F.A. Obada, the newest member of the Commander's Carolina Mafia. Uh, F.A. Obata can play edge defender, also can play interior defensive of uh, The 2022 season will be Obata's age 30 season. He's a big dude. Uh, Obata is listed as being 6'6 and 265 pounds. F.A. Obata is a terrific story. He entered the NFL through the NFL International Player Pathway Program. He, in 2018, became the first player from the program to make the 53-man roster of an NFL team by making the 53-man roster of, yes, the Panthers. Uh, but how about this? Obada was born in Nigeria. He, at 10 years old, was the victim of human trafficking. Yeah. Uh, he eventually lived in London, where he would play for the London Warriors of the British American Football Association national leagues. Uh, The journey of F.A. Obata to the NFL was quite the journey. NBC Nightly News actually did a feature on F.A. Obata a few years ago. But for our purposes as Commanders fans, here's what perhaps matters the most with Obata. Uh, He has been pretty productive as a pass rusher in each of the last two seasons. Uh, Obata played for the Panthers from 2018 through 2020 then played for the Buffalo Bills this past season. Obata in the 2020 regular season for the Panthers over 16 games, had five and a half sacks and 15 quarterback hits. Obata in the 2021 regular season for the Bills over 10 games, had three and a half sacks and eight quarterback hits. So Obata over the last two regular seasons in 26 games has totaled nine sacks and 23 quarterback hits. Not bad. For a backup defensive lineman, uh, the Commanders at least had been lacking in defensive line depth. Fa Obata uh, hopefully is going to restore some depth. Uh, also on Wednesday, the Commanders announced the re-signing of unrestricted free agent corner Danny Johnson. Uh, the 2022 season will be Johnson's age 27 season. The Commanders re-signed Johnson on the one-year anniversary of re-signing him last off-season. Uh, Washington on March 23rd, 2021, announced. The resigning of Johnson. Uh that came off Washington in the 2021 offseason, having non-tendered Johnson, who had been said to be a restricted free agent. He instead became an unrestricted free agent. But March 23rd apparently has become Danny Johnson Day. Uh, so Danny Johnson had an interesting 2021. Like I said, he got non-tendered by Washington, but then was re-signed by Washington. Washington this past August 31st released Johnson in the cut down to 53, but the team on September 1st signed Johnson to its practice squad. Washington on October 5th signed Johnson from the practice squad to the active roster, and Johnson ended up playing a good bit as the 2021 regular season went on. Johnson had not played on a defensive snap for Washington in a regular season game since December 22nd, 2019, but he started playing quite a bit on defense beginning with the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers in Week 7. Johnson's playing time percentages over Washington's final 11 games in the 2021 regular season were 61, 23, 31, 27, 49, 54, 33, 62, 66, 100, and 42%. So Danny Johnson pretty clearly is viewed as a nice depth piece by Rod Rivera and Jack Del Rio. You know, one of the things that changed with Washington's defense last season to make the defense better was Kendall Fuller being moved from playing a lot as a nickel corner to playing more as an outside corner and Danny Johnson taking over a good bit of the nickel corner duties. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Danny Johnson was some lockdown nickel corner or anything like that, but Danny Johnson did well enough to where he kept being trotted out there. Like I said, he played a good bit over Washington's final 11 games in the 2021 regular season. This off a 2020 regular season in which Danny Johnson over 14 games did not play on a single defensive snap for Washington. Now, Johnson in the 2020 regular season was Washington's primary kickoff returner for a second time, in three seasons and did pretty well, but Washington upgraded at kickoff returner last offseason in signing receiver DeAndre Carter. He was really good for Washington on kickoff returns in the 2021 regular season, but DeAndre Carter does remain an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Uh, Washington initially signed Danny Johnson as an undrafted free agent out of Southern University. In April 2018, he has played for the team in every season since then. So this coming season would be Danny Johnson's fifth consecutive season with the team. And also on Wednesday was this massive NFL news with implications for the Commanders. An NFL offseason that already had been bonkers got even more bonkers as the Kansas City Chiefs on Wednesday agreed to trade receiver Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. Yes, Tyreek Hill. The Cheetah, maybe the single best playmaker in the NFL, traded away by the Chiefs and to an AFC rival in the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins are giving up five draft picks for Tyreek Hill, a 2022 first round pick, a 2022 second round pick, a 2022 fourth round pick, a 2023 fourth round pick, and a 2023 sixth. Round pick. So the Dolphins are giving up a one, a two, two fours, and a six for Tyreek Hill. And the Dolphins are giving Hill a record contract extension according to multiple reports. The Dolphins are giving Hill a four-year 120 million dollar contract extension that includes 72.2 million dollars guaranteed, $52.535 million of which are guaranteed at signing. Uh, now, this is according to Tyreek Hill's agent, Drew Rosenhaus. You always need to be skeptical of contract terms given by agents to reporters, but suffice it to say, Tyreek Hill is getting an insane amount of money from the Dolphins. And if in fact these terms are correct, uh, the contract will make Tyreek Hill the highest paid receiver in NFL history. The average annual value of the extension, which again is supposedly a four-year, $120 million contract extension, is $30 million. $30 million per year for a receiver. It wasn't that long ago that $30 million per year for a quarterback was considered outrageous. Now we have a receiver apparently getting $30 million per year. And so that brings us to the Commanders top receiver, the Commanders WR1, Terry McLaurin. You know, there's irony in Rod Rivera on Wednesday having been at Ohio State's Pro Day, presumably checking out receivers Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, while also on Wednesday we had a current Commanders receiver who was drafted out of Ohio State, Terry McLaurin, presumably becoming even more expensive to retain thanks to this Tyreek Hill contract extension. The 2022 season will be the fourth and final season of Terry McLaurin's rookie contract. Remember, no fifth-year option in Terry's rookie deal. He was not taken in a first round. He was taken in the third round of the 2019 NFL Draft. Uh, Terry, of course, has been terrific for Washington In each of the last three seasons, the commander signing Terry to a contract extension this offseason already has been a major topic, and it should be. But signing Terry to a contract extension this offseason has never figured to be easy and now may well be a lot harder. I mean, Terry is a year away from the prospect of unrestricted free agency. The bidding war that Terry McLaurin could incite in unrestricted free agency in the 2023 offseason could be massive. You know, Terry is a no drama, very fast, contested, catch generating, high level receiver who has put up great production despite playing with a merry go round of quarterbacks. Understand the following Among receivers who have been drafted starting with the 2006 NFL draft, Terry McLaurin is number six in Pro Football Focus, wins above replacement in terms of production over the players' first three seasons. So you take all receivers who have been drafted starting. With the 2006 NFL Draft, you look at each receiver's first three seasons, Terry McLaurin is number six in PFF War, and that's despite having caught passes from the following quarterbacks. Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, and Garrett Gilbert. Now, some guys on that list are better than others, but not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks right there. And so if you're Terry McLaurin and the commanders want to talk contract extension this offseason, they're going to need to blow you away with an offer in order to get you to sign and forego this opportunity at unrestricted free agency or at the very least at being franchise tagged by the commanders next offseason. There's also, of course, the uncertainty that exists with the commanders at quarterback. I mean, to what extent might Terry be fed up with the merry-go-round of quarterbacks. To what extent might Terry have doubts about Carson Wentz, about Commander Carson uh, doing a good job as Commander's QB1? The Commanders, in order to get Terry McLaurin to sign a contract extension this offseason, need to blow him away with an offer, even more so than before, given that the receiver market just shot up thanks to to this Tyreek Hill extension, you know, this Tyreek Hill extension is yet another example of my saying one of the Galdi-isms out there. Today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. Hill getting this mega money contract extension is exactly why teams should always extend stud players as soon as possible and not worry about the money. If you believe in the player and want to keep the player, then extend the player as soon as you can and don't get sucked into worrying about how much you're paying the player. NFL salaries only go up. The NFL salary cap only goes up unless there's a pandemic. What seems like an overpay today will not look like an overpay in little time and in fact may well look like a bargain in little time. Again, just a few years ago, people went nuts over quarterbacks getting $30 million per year. People went crazy over the Redskins potentially paying Kirk Cousins, $30 million per year. People threw tantrums over the mere mention of the possibility of paying Kirky, $30 million per year. Now we have a bunch of quarterbacks making $40 million per year. Today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. I can't stress this enough for the commanders with Terry McLaurin. And I also can't stress the following enough. If the commanders don't want to pay Terry McLaurin what it's going to take to keep him, or they don't believe that he wants to stay, then they need to trade him. Point blank period. The situation really does come down to one of two extremes. Extend Terry or trade Terry. You don't have to necessarily trade him this offseason, but you will need to trade him if you won't or can't extend him. Let's not even consider another back-to-back franchise tag scenario, okay? Enough of that. The commanders over the next 13 months or so need to either extend Terry McLaurin or trade Terry McLaurin. But extending him seemingly just got even more difficult. Up next, our special guest, Commander's Insider, Ben Standing of The Athletic. He has spoken at length with Ron Rivera about why he traded for Carson Wentz. What does Ben believe Ron truly thinks about the Carson Wentz red flags? Also, how serious is Ron about potentially taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft? We'll get to all of that and more with Ben after this. All right. So we all like to eat and need to eat, but we're all dealing with inflation and high gas prices and we're all busy. So here's a great, affordable and easy way to have your meals. HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered Right to your doorstep. No more spending the gas in your car and the time in your day on grocery shopping. No more worrying about what to eat and what to feed the kids. And no more spending a lot of money on food. HelloFresh makes Home cooking, easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit, and HelloFresh is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy, or at least eat healthier, and you want to eat food that tastes great, you got to try HelloFresh. We eat HelloFresh and love it. We just had it over the weekend. Uh, We got the food and recipes for sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry, Monterey Jack unfried chicken, and pub style shepherd's pie. The meals were outstanding. Even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh and all that he ever wants to eat are peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Even he likes HelloFresh meals. Uh, The recipes come on these colorful sheets that you can save and refer back to. Cooking the meals doesn't take long at all. HelloFresh is the way to go. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week. You can customize your orders and HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal on average is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality, and you can save on average over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 16 and use the code goldie 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. You can't beat that. Again, hellofresh.com slash Galdy 16. Use the code Galdy 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time. Hellofresh.com slash Galdy 16. Use the code Galdy 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Hellofresh, America's number one meal kit. All right. So we now are 10 days into NFL free agency. If you count NFL free agency as having started when the legal tampering period began on March 14th, Uh, the commanders, of course, have traded for quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, The commanders have signed guard Andrew Norwell and now defensive lineman F.A. Obada. Uh, The commanders have re-signed running back J.D. McKissick, receiver Cam Sims, center Tyler Larson, safety Bobby McCain, now corner Danny Johnson, and kicker Joey Sly, among others. Uh, The commanders in free agency have lost guard Brandon Sheriff, interior defensive lineman Tim Settle, tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, and quarterback Garrett Gilbert. And the commanders have released guard Eric Flowers, interior defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis, safety-slash-linebacker-slash-Buffalo-Nickel Landon Collins, and safety Shazer Everett. That is your Commander's Offseason Scorecard for now. What more could be coming? Of course, nothing that will be coming will be more significant than the trade for Carson Wentz. At least we don't think. Uh, And I'm pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, for the first time since the trade, Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. He is a senior writer for The Athletic. He also is the host of the Standig Room Only podcast. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standig. Ben, my
2: friend, how are you? Al, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on as always. Um, yeah, I mean, we we we've talked relatively recently and yet there's so much has happened in between. I don't even know exactly what's happened in between, but it's been a lot.
1: There has been a lot, although actually for a lot of people, uh, there hasn't been enough. Uh, I am not one of these people who has all been out of shape by the commanders having not done more in free agency so far. I think that that reaction like completely ignores that so many major free agent signings do not work out and that the team over the last two years actually has done quite well with second and third-tier free agents. That said, when the team on March 16th released those four players, Eric Flowers, Matt Ionidas, Landon Collins, and DeShazer Everett, did you think that that meant that more moves were coming from the commanders in free agency?
2: Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, and look, there are still players on the, on the street, right? I mean, just on Tuesday, arguably the number one free agent in the entire class, Taron Armstead only just signed with Miami Now, I'm not saying Washington is making a big move like that I am saying that there are still some people out there and there are still some guys you could add that if you if They did could upgrade them in various ways. We know they needed a Mike linebacker and so on But yeah, I mean it is sort of curious like what was the point of creating like it's not that we, we already knew They had holes, but now they have more holes, right? There's depth issues on the defensive line. There's depth issues at safety uh, there's depth issues on the offensive line at least for now uh, etc so what are they what what are they doing until we can see the, the, the end results here it is a little hard to know what to make of all this and hopefully there is a plan to this I'm not saying there isn't I'm just saying we haven't seen it yet though I'm assuming something else is coming we're just
1: awaiting well, look. You got to tell us what Ron Rivera is telling you. We know that Ron likes you. Okay, he calls you Ben. He gives you stuff. You're maybe Ron's favorite in the Washington D.C. media corps. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I mean, Ron has done well with the second and third tier free agents in each of the last two off seasons. Do you think that Ron is waiting on some of those guys this off season? Do you think that Ron maybe likes guys who Ron already has on the Commanders more than we realize? Well, I mean,
2: look. If they bring back There are various free agents that are still out there, right? Eric, um, Cornelius Lucas, uh, DeAndre Carter, Danny Johnson. Like, some of these things would fill in some holes, right? I mean, and that's all good. But there are other ones. And ultimately, yeah, I mean, you can say you like the team, and that's fine. And obviously, if you took the exact same team they had last year but upgraded with the quarterback, yeah, maybe they win 10 games. I mean, they won seven with Taylor Heineke, which I'm not knocking Heineke. I'm just saying if if you're viewing him as limited – In certain ways then so be it but I I have to imagine they're wanting to do a bit more here Um, look on the ionitis and flowers deals on on a base level those weren't surprising if you looked at the landscape and said hey Washington needs to create more cap space other than Landon Collins those were the two deals that made the most sense it's just that if in to do those you would create more holes they already replaced flowers uh, with uh, Andrew Norwell but the ionitis is is now creates a space especially when tim settle had just left so there's um i don't know i I always think i'm I'm gonna say it's confusing because it is we're on the outside i just don't know i don't want it confusing to make it sound like they don't know what they're doing it's just as you're trying to read from the outside it does kind of wonder like what how do all these moves come into bat are they like you said they they just like their own guys so they're willing to wait but then uh, you know how are you you know do they think daniel wise is good enough to replace Tim Saddle, maybe, but I I, I don't know that definitively at this point.
1: All right. So you mentioned the quarterback. Uh, This is the first time that I've had you on the podcast since the commanders agreed on the trade for Carson Wentz. You have spoken with Ron Rivera about why he made the trade. What do you think is more true, that Ron made the trade out of desperation and really not much more? Or that Ron actually thinks that the concerns with Wentz are overblown, and that Wentz can truly be a franchise quarterback for the Commanders.
2: Uh, I've said this before on my podcast, maybe here as well. I think when you listen to Ron Rivera and a lot of the almost anybody in his spot with any team, but maybe this him in particular, you got to view it kind of like a politician. They are trying to deliver a message. Like Bill Belichick couldn't care less about a message, but other people do. Rivera is a message guy. He went to the Super Bowl to give a bunch of interviews to explain where the where Washington's position was regarding a quarterback. I think it's important to him to get out there what they're thinking and doing and saying, or at least trying to convey a vibe of what they're doing and thinking and saying. And I think that's important to remember that here as well. They've got a quarterback in Carson Wentz. He is not willing, it appears, to bring to, to Get into any of the issues that happen anywhere else And maybe he's right to do that. Maybe he has spoken to other people that makes him feel that, it, that he's good about that I mean if you're talking to Frank right though, like I don't know what that's really doing for me though Since the Colts just gave up on him and I know I do think the Colts situation was more ownership driven than coach so maybe the football people were down with keeping keeping Wentz, but I, I'm talking myself a little bit into saying that the, the Carson Wentz issues were not necessarily football-related, more of the other stuff, off the field kind of stuff, leadership stuff, locker room stuff, which is important. And Rivera has said it previously. It's the most important thing for him. But okay, maybe from the football perspective, it's a bit overblown. However, in talking to people who have covered him, who've watched him play, people from other teams, they all pretty much in unison describe a guy who, Play in, play out is an adventure and not in a good way. That you don't know what you're gonna get. And we kind of lived through that last year with Taylor Heineke, where every pastor, uh, what's uh, wait, where are you going up that ball? What's that arm angle? Whatever it is. It's one thing when you're Taylor Heineke, you're scra- scrapping along, you're trying to stay alive, he's limited in size, blah, blah, blah. Carson Wentz has all the, the gifts you want. It's him, it is more of a this is where he's at and I do think those concerns are legitimate I think they've been downplayed somewhat because the other stuff is sexier and more titillating but the football stuff I do think is concerning so I I don't I I would be surprised if Ron Rivera in his heart of hearts truly thinks there's no concerns what's he gotta say he's made the move there is upside
1: with Wentz I get why he did it and I'm kind of viewing it in in that prism. It's interesting to hear that from you. So you think that the football concerns with Carson Wentz potentially are more concerning than the personality concerns with Carson Wentz?
2: Well, I mean, I think they both are. I'm to say, I think like with Indianapolis, the other stuff may have been the the, the the prevailing factors as to why they decided to move on. I mean, again, they were nine and uh, what were they, You know, nine and six or before they lost the last two. Um, his basic numbers—twenty-seven touchdowns, seven picks—are obviously really good. And the reasoning, if you read the Colts, the story from our Colts writer about why they decided to move on from Carson Wentz, it lays out a portrayal of things that had nothing to do, or a little less to do with football and more to do with some of the off-the-field stuff. That may be unique, though, to there, like that Jim Ursay. The owner, maybe that's how he viewed the world. And you know, if you're the GM and the coach, what are you going to say? Philadelphia, there was some of that it looks like too, but that was a more complicated long-term situation, etc. So I, I'm saying those those things still matter and are still important. And it brings into question what Carson Wentz is all about. I am saying though that from the football side, that we we there's the upside there. We want to believe that the upside is real, but simultaneously, I do think. There are some questions there about him playing play out that have that, that, that people question. They just weren't the as sexy as some of the other stuff.
1: You mentioned thinking that the Colts trading Carson Wentz after just one season with them was owner driven. I on my Wednesday installment of the podcast episode 277 had on Colts insider Mike Chapel of Fox 59 CBS four sports in Indianapolis. He has covered the Colts since they came to Indy in 1984, he said the same thing. Uh, He said that he believes that the Colts trading Carson Wentz was owner-driven. Look, I know that there is a major element here of Commanders fans, myself included, wanting to like this trade for Carson Wentz more and, you know, trying to almost like talk ourselves into liking the trade more. That said, if in fact, the Colts traded Carson Wentz more due to the owner wanting Carson Wentz to be traded than the football people wanting Wentz to be traded. I do find that encouraging as a Commanders fan who does want Carson Wentz to do well as a Commanders quarterback. Uh, Do you think that it is pie in the sky to think that the Colts trading Carson Wentz was more about Jim Irsay than Carson Wentz, or not necessarily?
2: Right, and that's kind of what I'm saying probably in a clumsy way, that like, on the one hand... It's not like the football people in Indianapolis were definitively saying we need to get rid of Carson Wentz. That the ownership seemed to have issue with whether it was Carson Wentz's stance on the vaccine, or um, or not not taking the vaccine, or the the locker room vibe. Those are the unrelated to the to the to the football part, um, but. I don't know man. I'm talking myself in In in, in circles here the bottom line is there are a lot of questions on all fronts with this guy the question is You know does it does it mean he can't succeed no? But yeah in terms of Indianapolis specifically it may be that more of the, the ownership side of things had the issue Versus that the play on the field was such a disaster. They had to move on yet again simultaneously in talking to people The football stuff was concerning as well It's just not getting the same uh same attention so yeah it's look here's a screw all that washington was in a bind they didn't want to keep going through this quarterback merry-go-round over and over again and i think at some point they recognize if they don't trade for somebody they may not get anybody that would be considered to be a legitimate upgrade
1: over what they had uh we'll
2: see if carson wentz is but from a talent perspective he is
1: that the commanders traded for Carson Wentz as opposed to waiting for him to be released by the Colts. Is that more about there having been competition for Wentz? And so if the commanders didn't trade for Wentz, then another team would have traded for Wentz? Or is that more about the commanders fearing that Wentz as an unrestricted free agent would not have chosen to sign with the commanders?
2: Yeah, I mean I think my sense is in totality there were questions as to whether any of these people would choose Washington. And if Wentz hit for agency, I don't necessarily know if it was Washington specific or he didn't want to be back in the NFC East. I don't know if Trubisky would have picked definitively picked Pittsburgh over Washington. I don't know one million percent that Russell Wilson was presented with the idea of would you go to Washington? And he said no. But I think in totality there were enough questions of all of these things. That made uh, that I think probably had Washington believing if we are left of the free market we will be in some trouble and Ron Rivera told me they wanted to make a move so that when they entered free agency they wouldn't be quote-unquote scrambling and that's one way of saying hey we wanted to be uh, proactive it's another way to say uh, <laughs> I don't know what we would be getting out here we didn't the Teddy Bridgewater Marcus Mariota level is kind of where we've been so we need to do better so I think it's I think my sense is them reading the tea leaves eventually got them to saying we got to make a move.
1: We're talking with Commander's insider Ben Standing of the Athletic. He is a senior writer for the Athletic. He also is the host of the Standig Room Only podcast. So, among the things that you've written about regarding the Commanders trading for Carson Wentz is the involvement of Joe Gibbs in the process that led us to the Commanders trading for Joe Gibbs. Ron Rivera had this meeting with Joe Gibbs back in January, sought the counsel of the great Joe Gibbs. Uh, look, Joe Gibbs is the greatest head coach in the history of the franchise, but Joe Gibbs also now is 81. He hasn't coached in the NFL since the 2007 season. What do you make of Ron having gotten guidance from Joe Gibbs?
2: Yeah, so I talked to, when I talked to Ron Rivera before the combine, he brought up the idea that he had after the season went and met with Joe Gibbs and so i wrote about it there and i will admit i a little bit of a <laughs> eye roll to a degree which is just to be clear like i grew up a, t- a fan of this team joe gibbs to me is the greatest coach you know if you want to tell me belichick fine but i'll say joe gibbs is the best coach um you know here uh, or in the nfl ever uh, you know at least in my lifetime i'll, I'll leave been Lombardi to others so i get why you would want to consult with him and, and rivera's talked plenty about his relationship with john madden and how john madden helped shaped him and i do think these things are important to ron rivera and it's also important for him to share the information but as for the idea that like joe gibbs did or didn't do anything to help this i mean i really just i don't know if i buy it like i mean just to you know put so this was in the john kimes story in espn that ron rivera said that joe gibbs Factored in like tall quarterbacks that that was important for him. Okay, well, look in in the nineteen eighties, quarterbacks were built like Mark rippon a six foot four. They were not the small guys the way we've had in recent years, like a Russell Wilson or a Drew Brees. That dynamic has shifted. So, uh, you know, that's like an NBA guy saying, you know, back in the eighties, we weren't that excited about three point shooters. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, the world has changed, right?
1: Yeah.
2: So on the one hand, that though I don't know that that really rings true, but okay it's a good narrative because you just got a six foot five quarterback on the other hand they tried to get Russell Wilson now he last I checked not a six foot five quarterback and I believe in the story it says something about that Gibbs said if if it's not a tall guy he has to have certain other traits I guess my point is yeah sure I mean whatever like you've got to evaluate these things on your own and it's good to get advice from others The fact that Joe Gibbs, I mean, Rivera told me the same thing about uh, Joe Gibbs said the idea of a list. Okay. I I mean, sure. I mean, I I imagine there was a a list. Of course. Here's the guys we're interested in, Rogers, Wilson, and we kind of go from there. So I don't know that I'd make too much of this other than just the fact that Ron Rivera, for his own sake, wants to consult these people. And then he also wanted, in turn, to let us know his process, which, fine. I mean, that's about all I guess I can say on that.
1: Yeah, I think that there's also probably a belief from Ron Rivera and others that saying that Ron met with Joe Gibbs prior to making this trade for Carson Wentz will play well, you know, that everyone loves Joe Gibbs. And so if you say, well, you see, Joe, his guidance helped to lead us to the Carson Wentz destination. People will say, oh, well, then the Carson Wentz destination must be a good one. Uh, You know, I, I do think there is a public relations strategy Uh, behind some of this. So you mentioned shorter quarterbacks. Uh, We on Tuesday had Liberty's Pro Day, which of course featured Malik Willis. Uh, You were at Liberty's Pro Day. Marty Herney was there. Scott Turner was there. Uh, The Commanders also had significant representation on Monday at Pitt's Pro Day, which featured Kenny Pickett. Now, you on Wednesday tweeted that Ron Rivera did not attend the Pro Days for Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, but interestingly was expected at Ohio State's Pro Day on Wednesday, and Ron did in fact attend the Ohio State Pro Day, and the Ohio State Pro Day featured a 2023 NFL Draft quarterback prospect in C.J. Stroud throwing to two 2022 draft receiver prospects in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh look, we know that these pro days should all be taken with grains of salt, but how telling is Ron Rivera's travel schedule to you in terms of what the commanders are thinking with their number 11 pick in the 2022 draft?
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, you know, we, the, the line we learned from the Watergate, the actual Watergate situation was uh, follow the money. There is a little bit of the follow the appearances with when it comes to some of this draft stuff. Like Ron Rivera, obviously he didn't go to the senior bowl. He, you know, he did go to the combine, but the, he's not at the senior bowl. He hasn't been at somebody's pro day. So he's being selective is where he's going. So you have to take that to matter something. He doesn't have, you know, he's got twenty four hours in a day like the rest of us. So he, he's got to pick and choose what he wants to do. And he's not going to an event that has a twenty his first event this cycle, as far as we know, is a not is not for a quarterback in this year's draft class. What that says to me is, no duh, Like I'm not buying that they're taking a quarterback at 11. He told me when I presented the idea of why would you take a quarterback, if you're believing in Carson Wentz, to the degree that you're claiming you are, why take a quarterback who would therefore be stuck holding a clipboard for the next couple of years? And he's like, yeah, why would you, unless you fell in love with a guy? Well, if you fell in love with a guy, why are you trading for Carson Wentz in the first place? I mean, not to say you'd be guaranteed to get whoever you want, but then just trade these picks to move up to... Fourth pick to get a quarterback or whatever. So I don't buy that they're in love with one of these guys. Look, I could be wrong. They still have a month to fall in love. So the Ohio State thing, when you look at what Washington has done so far here in free agency, they have not added any playmaking. They kept JD McKissick and Cam Sims, but they haven't added anyone else. And I do kind of wonder, you know, is that what's possibly coming here with the 11th pick? Uh, Garrett Wilson could be a guy there for sure. Olave, maybe more if they trade down but it's interesting that that's where Rivera is making his appearance as opposed to these other ones.
1: So is it accurate to say that Ron Rivera traded for Carson Wentz, at least in part, because Ron doesn't really like the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft?
2: Well, I think he wanted a veteran all along. I mean, I think that was first and foremost. He you know, you more or less said that, but like, I think that was the impression I had all along. When you say you think you have a team that's good enough to compete with a quarterback, you're not then bringing in the rookie to then have to take the logical step back that that tends to happen with, um, with a rookie. So I think he wanted a veteran and so on. But again, I, I just imagine the totality of the conversation around this draft class is a lot of uncertainty or more uncertainty than you wish. Thus, they're not going to be picked. It doesn't look like anywhere around the top five, maybe not even the top 10. So if Washington's thinking sort of is in line with that, then they wouldn't logically take a quarterback
1: at 11, having now, and that's why you make
2: the move in part for Wentz, in addition to
1: wanting a veteran. Something that I feel like has been kind of lost with everything going on with the commanders is that they have given Scott Turner a contract extension uh, through the 2024 season. Uh, You were among those who reported on this on March 13th. It's tough to ignore the timing, right? The team on March 9th agreed on the trade for Carson Wentz, with whom there have been these coachability questions. And then we on March 13th get word of a contract extension for Scott Turner. And Scott now goes contractually through the fifth and final season of Rod Rivera's contract. Do you believe that extending Scott Turner was at least in part part of like a strategy to ensure? that Carson Wentz knows who his bosses are, you know, knows who his commanders are? Or do you think there's more to the Scott Turner extension than just that?
2: I'd be lying if I told you I had it really fit. I don't know. You're right. This has sort of gotten shoved under the, the pile of stuff. And I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, I'm not 100% sure what to make of all this yet. Uh, typically, when you, when you have one... Um, extension from a coaching staff there are others now the team did not announce any of this the team has not confirmed any of this essentially so or yeah you know, there's not I mean, the team hasn't said anything it's not been about a couple of weeks I've lost track of time here so I don't know what to make of it exactly other than the fact that Scott Turner um, yeah was extended and these coaching contracts can be a little confusing. I've been told that they can carry just include like carryover year, so even if it's like say hypothetically a, a two-year deal, they could have language that you know it can be picked up and just kind of kept going. This feels like it's a little bit more than that, but I don't know. Beyond that, I don't really know what to, to to make of it. I mean, I'd be, I I don't necessarily know that it has anything to do with Carson Wentz. Um, logically though, this is a huge moment for Scott Turner because not that he hasn't been. Uh, under some scrutiny the last couple of years but now for real his actions will be will be judged not just locally but nationally because carson wentz is a bigger story than just hey he did some good things to help taylor Heineke. or boy i don't know dwayne haskins who knows what was going on with that guy this is a much different deal can because the whole narrative is can washington actually fix a guy that two teams in a row decided they can't and a lot of that will come on scott turner so Whatever the contract extension aspect was, they—he's got a lot going on now, and you know, th- there will be a lot of
1: focus on him this this year for sure. So Ron Rivera and Scott Turner are handcuffed contractually now. Each guy going through 2024. Do you happen to know Jack Del Rio's contractual status? I mean, it it would be kind of funny if the Commanders extend uh, Scott but don't extend Jack. That would be pretty telling. Do you happen to know what Jack's uh, contract status is?
2: So, so, That's kind of what I'm saying. Like it's slightly odd to me that we've heard about one, but no not anybody Else there was obviously talk that Jack Del Rio, you know, would he be possibly in trouble at the end of the year? And then he told us get out of here I'm, I'm, I'm good and obviously he is back as is everybody else on the staff who chose to re- return I Kind of waited, like I said, they haven't they haven't put out a statement saying Scott Turner has been extended so I'm sort of imagining that there'll be a broader uh, roll out at some point, but I, I don't know for, for sure. It would seem somewhat odd to me, like you said, that they would have Scott Turner back, but but nobody else, uh, and, including Del Rio, but I, I don't I don't I can't say definitively at this point what's going on.
1: One more for you. Now that we have the benefit of hindsight with these other quarterback moves that have been made this offseason, do you think that there's any legitimate reason for commanders regret in terms of if only they would have waited a little while longer, they could have done X or they could have done Y instead of giving up multiple draft picks in a trade for Carson Wentz and taking on the entirety of Wentz's contract? Or do you think playing the what-if game uh, isn't entirely fair to the commanders?
2: Yeah, I would just say this, that I think these things can be somewhat separate. We can debate whether Washington gave up too much to get Carson Wentz, not just giving up Two thirds, one the, the one of which could possibly become a second, a swap of second round picks this year, and taking on the full contract that that might have been too much. I think that's a reasonably and absolutely fair point, but not, I don't think it's a fair point to then compare to the other signings. I don't think that uh, what I was told is Atlanta was not looking to trade Matt Ryan until the Deshaun Watson situation opened up for them. Then once they got down that down that uh, path, they're like, you know what. Let's just cut bait now. We're already we're not going anywhere this year. Anyway at some point We're gonna have to take this cap hit. Let's do it now. We'll do it this year and get it over with Do our guy Matt Ryan Wright trade him Their their GM Terry Fontenot today came out and said They didn't necessarily look to max out the trade. They were trying to do Matt Ryan, right? He wanted to go to Indy um, When you look at the James Winston, it always seemed logical he would end up back with New Orleans I don't know that he takes that same deal with Washington or somebody else and again how does it? How do we know if you're Washington that he would have even considered coming here? He has a comfort with with that Saints team from a year ago, etc. And and that's the thing. I think if Washington doesn't do anything, I, I don't know. They're getting Marcus Mariota, who just signed to Atlanta. Maybe I, I don't know. Like I think, and like again, Marcus Mariota went to Atlanta, the team that his coach there was his coach, right? Was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee? So. There's familiarity there, so I don't know that Washington's getting anybody. So I, I think I don't. I don't begrudge them making the trade. I, I don't put any stock into these other issues. Giving them second doubt
1: again, did they have to give up all they gave up? I think that is a fair question. All right. Ben Standig, Commander's Insider for The Athletic, Senior Writer for The Athletic, also is the host of the Standig Room Only podcast. And you can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standig. Ben, I always appreciate your time. Always appreciate the intel. Uh, Thanks so much.
2: Al, anything for you, man. Thanks.
1: All right, let's talk some Nationals. Uh, when it comes to the Nats, there may not be two bigger question marks than Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. Uh, each guy, a big money pitcher who has struggled big time in each of the last two seasons. Strasburg with injury, Corbin with ineffectiveness. And interestingly, each guy was a big topic at Nats spring training in West Palm Beach, Florida on Wednesday. First of all, we on Wednesday had a notable admission from Nats manager Davey Martinez On Steven Strasburg, Uh, Davey actually put a number on the expected starts for Strasburg in the upcoming regular season. Davey said that the goal for Strasburg in the 2022 regular season is him making, quote, 20 to 25 starts. When he comes back, I don't want him to be back for a month. We have a setback. We miss him for another month. No, when he comes back, I want him to come back and he's back and he feels good about himself. And he's there to help us every five days after that, end quote. Uh, Now, what Davies said makes total sense. And I think it's totally the right way to be approaching Steven Strasburg in 2022. But you don't usually hear managers put out specific numbers like that, you know, 20 to 25 starts. Uh, This is yet another sign of just how serious the Strasburg situation is. Uh, He may never be the same again as a pitcher. Strasburg last July 28th underwent season-ending surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS. Uh, TOS is maybe the single worst pitching injury that a pitcher can have. I don't think that a big enough deal has ever been made of the ailment from which Strasburg is attempting to come back. He has made just seven regular season starts over the last two seasons, which just happened to have been the first two seasons of a seven-year $245 million contract to which he was re-signed in December 2019. And it's still not clear whether all of this missed time over the last two seasons has been due to him ultimately being diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome or perhaps has been due uh, to other ailments that could always pop back up. I mean, Steven Strasburg has been injury prone in his career. We all know that Uh, this coming season will be Strasburg's age 33 season. uh, 20 to 25 starts obviously is a very modest, uh, low-bar goal, especially for a guy in the midst of a 70-year, $245 million contract. But this is where we're at with Steven Strasburg right now. Uh, then with Patrick Corbin. So believe it or not, Corbin right now seems to be the favorite to be the Nats' opening day starter. Yes, the same Patrick Corbin who has been terrible in each of the last two seasons. Uh, Opening day now is two weeks away, Thursday, April 7th. Uh, Davey Martinez has not announced who the Nats opening day starter will be, but indications are that Corbin will be the guy. Uh, He started the Nats exhibition game on Wednesday afternoon, a 3-2 loss to the Miami Marlins. He did well, four scoreless innings, four strikeouts, and a five-day schedule would put Corbin right on track to start on April 7th when the Nats will face the New York Mets at Nationals Park at 4.05 p.m. Uh, Corbin being the Nats' opening day starter would, heck, Corbin even being a candidate to be the Nats' opening day starter, does tell you everything that you need to know about the state of the Nats pitching. Uh, The state is not good. Uh, The Nationals for the 2021 regular season finished number 11 out of 15 National League teams with a starting pitching ERA of 464. And a big part of that was Patrick Corbin, who has been horrendous over the last two seasons. I mean, let's just tell it like it is. Corbin for the 2021 regular season had a 582 ERA, which was the worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors. And he had this 582 ERA despite pitching well in September. Uh, Corbin pitched well in four of his five starts. Last September, uh, Corbin for the 2021 regular season had a whip of 1.47. That was the second worst whip among qualified pitchers in the majors. Corbin for the 2021 regular season had a strikeouts per nine innings of just 7.5, marking yet another decline in his strikeout rate. Corbin for the 2020 regular season had a strikeouts per nine innings of 8.2. Corbin over the 2018 and 2019 regular seasons had a combined strikeouts per nine innings of 10.8. So, Corbin's strikeouts per nine innings has gone from 10.8 over the 2018 and 2019 regular seasons to 8.2 in the 2020 regular season to 7.5 in the 2021 regular season. That's not the direction that a pitcher's strikeouts per nine innings is supposed to go. Uh, Corbin in the 2020 regular season, over 11 starts and 65 and two-thirds innings, had a 466 ERA and gave up a major league worst 85 hits. Uh, this coming season will be his age 32 season and the fourth season of a six-year $140 million contract that he signed in December 2018. He has stayed healthy. I won't give him mad. I mean, Corbin's struggles have never seemed to be about injury. He just has lost his way as a pitcher, and his struggles have changed the narrative on that contract, which initially looked great with how valuable he was for the Nats in their 2019 World Series championship season. Uh, Now look, who a team's opening day starter is can be very overrated. That said, the point here is the symbolism of all of this. The Nats pitching has cratered over the last two seasons. Uh, Patrick Corbin looking likely to be the Nats opening day starter for the 2022 regular season says a lot. Uh, For years, the Nats opening day starter was easy, right? Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg. Uh, We are a long way away from those days now with the Nats. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me the algoldi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 279 will feature much more on the Commanders. I'll also talk Wizards as they will be at the reigning defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks Thursday night at 8. We'll see how the Wizards respond to their atrocious loss on Monday night that 115-97 loss at the NBA Worst, Houston Rockets, the Wizards in that game blowing a 23-point second quarter lead. Uh, Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on
0: Friday. Allow myself to introduce myself.